0: for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com L-E-V-A-R. Save big money on your next project with help from arts.
1: Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards, and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now.
0: Save big money
1: at Menards.
0: Hi, I'm Lavar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Well, y'all, today's story mixes together a couple of elements that I really love, family and magic. It's by the author Damien Wilson, who resides in Bermuda. Now, Damien is a software developer, a martial artist, a former bicycle racer, and a self-described nerd who has been programming since he was 14 years old. And, of course, he's also a very accomplished writer. This story of his was published in the anthology New Worlds, Old Ways, Speculative Tales from the Caribbean, edited by Karen Lord. In the story, it has been a really challenging time in our protagonist's life. Her father, who seems to have been a bit of a go-between in her family, is developing Alzheimer's. Her sister and her mother are having health issues, and throughout all of this, the family's patterns continue to play out. They keep following those old ruts in the road. But right while all of this is happening, this woman, our protagonist, becomes privy to a very strange phenomenon. An oddity that she cannot control. As always, please check out the episode description for a content advisory if you are so inclined. And now, if you are ready, let's take a deep breath <sighs> and begin. Daddy by Damian Wilson. It was the day I buried my sister that I discovered my father could teleport. Bobby, the second daughter, the precious child, who could do no wrong, had died an addict's death, gasping her final breaths into her squat's dusty carpet. Her stoned companions failed to rouse in time to help her, if they even tried at all. At the time, I recalled astonishment that she'd outlived Mom, who'd squandered what life remained in her chemo-ravaged body zealously, shielding Bobby from any attempts at intervention. Mom had succumbed to denial. Nothing and no one could convince her to stop abetting Bobby's lifestyle, even as destructive as it had become. Dad had doted on Mom with a saint's patience, but she would still berate him and dismiss his attempts to appease her, even as he misplaced his keys and struggled to recall the names of dear friends His efforts to be close to her, his beloved wife, seemed to be in vain. It hurt me to lose my father to that tumultuous time. We had gathered at Mom's bedside. The pumps and monitors had been switched off and the nurses had removed the tubes and wires. They'd even brushed her hair, teasing what little was left of it into a semblance of dignity. Alec and I had been married not long before. Our union forged just in time for this horrible trial. I remembered how he had cradled my head while whispering soft reassurances. When the moment Mom finally left us had come and gone. The tears I had expected to release me never arrived. Instead, leaden numbness filled my limbs. Dad was a picture of strength, though. His soul no longer burdened by angst and melancholy, he seemed even to have grown taller. I was so proud of him at that moment, his cheeks glistening, his eyes reflecting the kind relief that only a cancer death can deliver. Bobby stood stoic next to the hospital bed, holding our mother's lifeless hand for nearly ten minutes as she shifted her weight from one foot to the other, humming something. Then, without comment, she left. I didn't expect to see her next as a corpse. Dad, I began after Bobby's footsteps had echoed away. He turned to face me and smiled. Tanya. My lips began to move, but he placed his finger on my lips. Shh, he said to me, deep brown eyes gazing into mine. It's all okay now. It's all forgiven. Forgiven? I whispered, clutching Alex's arm more tightly. He nodded wisely and... Against reason, I willed myself to believe it. So it was years later, at Bobby's not-so-well-attended funeral, that I stood alone, dressed in whatever finery I could dust off. My wedding band told a fiction that only I still entertained. The pastor droned his eulogy to the echoes of that deserted church hall, Bobby's friends couldn't even pass up one hit just to see her off. By then, Dad wasn't in any kind of shape to attend. He'd lost much of his ability to separate past and present. And in those months after Alec had finally left for good, I certainly wasn't up to repeatedly explaining to him who had died and when or why. So he wasn't there to see Bobby's casket lowered into the ground or to smell the earthy dampness filling the empty air, or to weep for that one lost daughter. I did not linger long enough to see them start heaping the dark soil on top of her. I drove home to darkened windows and an empty driveway. I turned the key and got the heavy door to swing ajar, sending white paint chips drifting to the concrete stoop. Inside, I collapsed onto the couch and immediately fell asleep, exhausted and still wrapped in the dress I'd worn to see my baby sister buried. It was on that starry, clear night that I awoke to find my father, standing outside, his wiry torso propped nonchalantly against my peeling doorframe. Crickets chirped their lonely songs into the dark air. I couldn't tell how late it was. He was wearing the robe that I'd bought him one Christmas, light blue flannel pajamas and ridiculous bunny-eared slippers someone had given him. His skin was yellowed by the bare incandescent bulb dangling from exposed wires. What are you doing here, Dad? I asked drowsily. "I I came to see you, Toots, he answered, rocking, "'a little unsteadily. "'I had always detested that nickname. "'But of course, I reasoned, "'dementia would leave that memory intact. "'I pulled the dress tighter against the chill breeze "'and scanned the street behind him, "'but didn't see the fading taillights of any vehicle "'that might have left him there. "'How did you get here, Dad?' "'I asked, shivering a little. "'I just came.' he stated plainly. "'Come in, Dad,' I sighed, propping the door wide open. "'Come on. It's cold.' I put my arm around his bony shoulders and guided him inside, closing the door behind us. He shuffled his feet a little more than I remembered. I persuaded him to lie on my worn sofa and then draped a woolen blanket over him, tucking the end up to his chin as he had done for me so many years before. Night, Dad, I murmured as I kissed him good night, but he had already fallen asleep. The musty blanket heaved slowly, synchronized with his muted snoring. I hesitated, staring at his sleeping form, before retreating to my bedroom. I love you, Daddy, I whispered into the darkness. Glad to have him back again. The following morning, I rose before the sun had fully crested the trees and wandered into the kitchen, passing the empty second bedroom. I sometimes thought about the plans Alec and I had made. Wall colors and boys' names and the right kind of car seat. Two painful losses had doomed our relationship to fights and insults. I'm getting breakfast, Dad, I yelled. There'd be enough time to feed us both and return him to the nursing home before work. There was no response. Dad? The couch was empty. Just as I began panicking, he emerged from the tiny bathroom. The foul, dank, earthy smell emerged along with him. Dad! I screamed, rushing past him to slam the door shut. That really stinks! He laughed heartily, a deep chuckle that I wasn't used to hearing, not since I had convinced myself that he couldn't be safe at his own house. Would you like to have pancakes? Of course, Bobby. You always make the best pancakes, he grinned. It's Tanya, Dad. That's right. Sorry, honey. His broad smile waned. Sometimes in moments of clarity, he would realize what was happening to him. It's okay, Dad. I didn't bother to remind him that Bobby had died. Eventually, he would remember on his own and become distraught. It was terrible to observe those moments when the fog lifted just enough to let the demons in. I made the pancakes while he regaled me with stories about my childhood, as if they had just happened yesterday. He would tell me those same stories four or five times each, but I giggled like a child every time I heard them. The telephone's ring interrupted the idol. After a moment's hesitation, I picked up the handset.
1: Mrs. Smith? This is Greg Butler from Cider Oaks Nursing Home.
0: He sounded harried. Ms., I corrected. I was going to call you.
1: Ms. Smith, my apologies. We're required to inform you that we're having difficulty locating your father. He hasn't been checked out and we have no indication that he's even left the facility.
0: But he's here, I blurted. Pardon me? He's with me at my house. He just showed up last night. We're eating breakfast right now. A considerable pause elapsed before he spoke again.
1: But how did he get there?
0: I don't know, I replied, gazing at the blob of syrup dripping from my father's chin. He just showed up at my door.
1: I, uh, right
0: he said after considerable hesitation.
1: Well, there's no problem now. We know where he is, so we can call off the search. Go ahead and bring him back whenever you're ready.
0: Okay, I'll do that. Thank you, Mr. Butler. I'm really sorry about this.
1: I'd like to say it's no trouble, but...
0: he stammered. Yes, I appreciate how difficult this must be.
1: You have no idea.
0: I suppose that's true. I smiled into the mouthpiece. Thank you, Mr. Butler.
1: You're welcome, Miss Smith. Goodbye.
0: Before I'd put the handset in its cradle, I heard his voice yelling faintly. Wait a second, Miss Smith! Yes, Mr. Butler?
1: Miss Smith, a request. When you bring him back in... Would you have time for a short conversation about this?
0: I think so. I found myself nervously tapping my foot on the floor tiles.
1: That would be excellent, he said. Until then,
0: Miss Smith. Yes. Thanks again, Mr. Butler. I turned to see my father smiling at me over what remained of the pancakes. (laughs) These are good, he exclaimed. Now, let's get back to our story. Dad graciously suffered the long drive to Cider Oaks, but he became less and less talkative the nearer we got to it. In the end, he just silently watched the passing scenery with the interest of someone who was seeing it all for the first time. The nurses who greeted us at the cobblestone entrance fawned over my father as if he were some kind of celebrity. He hammed it up, even pinching one of them on the behind. I was mortified, but the nurse looked back and winked at me. It was clear that this was how they managed him. Only after my father and his entourage had wandered off did I notice a man standing near there. Miss Smith? He approached me, offering a hand. Yes, Mr. Butler, is it? It's nice to meet you. I glanced at my watch. I apologize, but I have to be at work in half an hour, I explained. That's not a problem, he nodded in sympathy. This shouldn't take more than five minutes. He guided me into his office. Folders, binders, and loose papers littered the desk's scarred laminate surface. So, this is about my father's ability to leave the nursing home undetected, I began. Yes, it's definitely an issue of concern for us, he replied. And I must be frank with you, we have no idea how he managed to visit your home last night. He paused. There's more to this. More? Yes, this isn't the first time your father has relocated. The way he uttered the word made it clear that it wasn't his first choice. What do you mean? My fingernails were digging shallow U-marks into my handbag. He leaned forward, placing his elbows on the desk. His eyes were wide. Miss Smith, there have been five of these incidents. Five, I shrieked. Why am I just learning about this now? I'm sorry about that. We weren't trying to deceive you, but so far we've only considered administrative failures. People have already been terminated over this. What explanation could there be? I began to tremble. The first time this happened, your father was asleep in his room when the shift nurse checked. We keep the doors locked for the Alzheimer's patients because they can wander off and get disoriented. I nodded. That had been a deciding factor for moving him to the nursing home. But the next shift nurse, four hours later, found him hunting around in the recreation room, looking for someone named Philip. The family dog, I smiled. Ah, that makes sense. For a moment, he seemed to flirt with the idea of asking why someone would name their dog Philip, but decided against it. He continued, A week after that, we found him wandering around the cafeteria. He claimed that he was looking for ice cream. He does like snacks, I confirmed. And then, less than a month ago, he was picked up by one of the security guards while walking along the fence in driving rain. When the guard spoke to him, your father just said something about it being time to go home. You have any idea what he might have meant by that? I shrugged. Not really, no. He leaned back in his chair, which squeaked in protest. Unfortunately, he went on, while we suspect that he's simply managing to take advantage of unlatched doors and gates, our security video isn't of sufficient quality to draw any conclusions. We've had a slew of problems with those cameras, despite replacing a bunch. And now this, I mumbled, my throat suddenly dry. I stole a look at my watch and rose from the chair. "Uh, Mr. Butler, I think we've run out of time. I hadn't heard anything that I wanted to hear. Yes, of course, Miss Smith. He rose, offering his hand. I trust we can resume this conversation in the near future? Yes, absolutely, I confirmed, accepting the handshake. As I turned to leave... A question tugging at my conscience made me stop. Mr. Butler, are you convinced that my father is still safe here? Certainly. We're devoted to providing the necessary coverage, even if we need to allocate more staff. His reassurance did nothing to allay my fears. As I drove away from the complex, I replayed the exchange in my mind over and over. I dreamed a telephone was ringing, only to find it to be real. In my sleep, I had clutched the satin pillowcase so desperately that the blood had drained from my fingertips. Perspiration had soaked through my pajamas. Hello? I tried to sound civil. Miss Smith? The voice on the other end sounded distressed. Ms., what time is it?
1: This is Rebecca at Cider Oaks. Your father is not in his room or anywhere on the grounds. Is he there with you? I'm so sorry to have to call you like this.
0: She gasped, scarcely taking a breath between sentences. Uh, No, no, he's not here.
1: Miss Smith, we have no clue as to where he might be. Please let us know if he turns up there.
0: Okay, I... Wait, wasn't someone watching him?
1: Oh! Oh! The police are here now, Miss Smith. I have to talk to them. Can I call you back? Uh,
0: Yes, of course, I stammered. I'd scarcely had time to start imagining all the terrible outcomes when the phone rang again. Rebecca, did you find... I began.
1: Tanya? Tanya, is that you?
0: The caller was shouting. Yes! Yes! I yelled. Who is this?
1: Tanya! This is Deborah Tang. Do you remember me?
0: Recognition was gradual, but the woman's voice was tied to many of my childhood memories. Mrs. Tang, I said at last. Yes, of course I remember you. How are you? I recalled the woman's living room and her daughters, Mendy and Anne, and the smell of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies on Sunday afternoons.
1: Tanya is at the house. Did you know? He's trying to get inside, but it's all boarded up. He's trying to get in, but I don't want him to get hurt.
0: I tried not to dwell on how my father had managed to travel more than a hundred kilometers from the nursing home to the place where we'd once been a family. I had been heartbroken when I signed the contract for the house to become someone else's. In the end, though, The family who bought it also failed to hang on to it. I'm telling the police now, Mrs. Tang, I said. They're going to come and help him, okay?
1: Tell them not to hurt him,
0: she insisted.
1: He's so nice. Tell them to be careful.
0: I will, Mrs. Tang. Thank you so much. Bobby, I'm okay. Okay. There's nothing wrong with me, my father insisted. His eyes wandered around the room. I stood outside the holding cell. They'd put him in it for his safety, they said, but I could still barely contain my rage as I watched them unlock the barred door. I waited patiently as police officers released him. It's all right now, Dad. We're just going to get you back to the nursing home. Okay, I just want to go home, Bobby, he said, hurt and fear in his face. I know, Daddy, I said. It's okay. I felt heartbroken again as I helped his once strong body climb into the passenger seat of my car. We drove in silence while he slowly calmed down. I was relieved when at last he fell asleep, snoring rhythmically, though the long journey to Cider Oaks was lonely without a conversation to fill the air, even recycled stories from the past. I drove on, but when I turned to look at his sleeping form, he vanished without a whisper. I didn't register his disappearance at first, I could see the passenger seat where his tall frame should have been, and the night view beyond the windowpane was starkly unobscured. Red and white vehicle lights danced in the glass. I screamed so much that I couldn't continue driving. The tires screeched in protest, and only grace allowed me to stop the car without crashing into something. My fingertips uselessly clutched the steering wheel without sensation. The engine's idling rumble filled a nighttime stillness only broken occasionally by the wail of far off truck tires. I stared at the vacant passenger seat, willing it to magically yield back my father. After some time, I gathered my senses enough to resume driving back to the house that Alec had deserted. I pondered who to call. Who would believe me? I'd barely crossed the threshold when I saw the answering machine's blinking red light. Hesitantly, I pressed the winking button. Mrs. Smith, began the first message. This is Sergeant Yates at Brookline Police Station. Your father appears to have returned to your old family home. I skipped the message, unable to bear listening to it.
1: Tanya, this is Deborah Tang.
0: Again, I pressed the skip button.
1: Miss Smith, Greg Butler here. Your father appeared here briefly, but now.
0: sobbing, I pressed the skip button once more. Toots. I froze. My fingers suspended, motionless. Daddy? Daddy, is that you? I stopped by the house, his voice continued. But Bobby and your mom aren't there. I know, Dad, I bleated. Bobby and Mom are dead. Phillip's dead. So I'm going to go and find them. It won't take long, though. So don't worry. It had been years since I heard my father speak with authority like that. He sounded like the father who'd carried me on his shoulders— whose knee I'd bounced on. The first man to tell me I was beautiful. No, Dad, come here, to me, I pleaded. They've all gone. It's just us now. Stay with me, Daddy. I need you.
1: I love you, baby. I'll be back soon. Be good,
0: okay? Daddy, don't go, I bawled. But the message had ended. Months later, there was still no sign of him. There were no more calls or messages. No sightings. Cider Oaks ended their involvement after the police investigation eliminated any culpability on their part. I could only imagine how ecstatic they'd become once their liability ended. Evidently, the answering machine's recording was the only thing that stood between me and a murder charge. I guffawed when a detective admitted that to me, the sudden outburst provoking a look normally reserved for the certifiably insane. I didn't get fired, though, miraculously. Though I spent my working days mindlessly processing reams of unremarkable paperwork, I was, to my amazement, still able to get the job done correctly. Months passed, but the hole in my heart didn't seem to diminish much, though I hadn't expected it would. <laughs> then one mild Saturday afternoon, as I was vacantly watching reruns of some once popular comedy, Lying on the couch, wrapped to the neck in a ratty blanket, a voice in my head suddenly wondered if there was any mail in the roadside mailbox. Just as suddenly, I found myself standing at the curb next to that very mailbox, with the blanket still draped around me. The TV remote control dangled loosely from my fingertips. Condensed breath puffed from my nostrils into the cool air. A runner took note of my still-blanketed attire, but that was the only attention I seemed to have attracted. I opened the creaky mailbox lid and extracted the two or three envelopes that had collected there. Slowly, as the shock abated, a calm understanding remained in its place. For the first time in years, I began to beam, grinning broadly enough to make the muscles in my cheeks cramp. Above the quiet rustling of autumn leaves, I whispered, It's okay, Daddy. I'll just come to you. Read this story without thinking about a couple of things. one, I think about m- my own family, um, the people who are gone, those that are still here. I lost my mom and my younger sister a couple of years back within six months of one another, and this story reminds me of of all of the things that we shared that will only live in memory going forward. All the the little things, the things that we tended to laugh about as a family, the inside family jokes, the memories that we have of those who have gone on to the other side, I think they take on even more meaning as time continues to pass. The truth is, is that I think memory and the the memory of loved ones who are gone, I'm, I'm not sure whether they remain intact, which is to say, are they an accurate representation of what happened or are they an amalgamation of millions of moments that we shared and it's just a representation of the feeling that we have that remains. And I think the thing that I, I love most about the story is that once she surrendered, right? Once she had accepted that which she did not understand and once she had accepted the, the reality of having lost all of these people in her life. That's when the gift came. And I think that, at least for me, that, that gift in the story was both figurative and literal. I mean, I love that she discovered the ability that her father had. Um, and that's, you know, that makes perfect sense to me, the, the inheritance of, um, of talents through genes, okay? But the fact that she was able to get to a place of peace, that's thats what I loved about the story, that she got to a place of peace where all of the loss was concerned, the loss of her mother, the tragic loss of her drug-addicted sister, the loss of her marriage, the loss and then getting him back and then losing him again of her father. Once she made peace with all of that, that's when the gift came and i truly believe that that happens in life that when we are able to surrender to that over which we have no control then we get the gift and the gift is in and of itself that act of surrender not in terms of giving up i i don't mean surrender in that way I, I i i just i mean it in terms of of Um, allowing that what is to be the absence of the constant worry and self-judgment about our response to the things that happen in our lives when we can get to that place of I'm good with all of it right that's when we get the goody Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Marie Smith. She's the best in the business, y'all. Our researcher is Lakeisha Lewis. So glad you are aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design by the very brilliant Brendan Burns. Our sound engineering is by Brendan Burns and my favorite engineer, LeVar Burton. My thanks to Damien Wilson for allowing me to read his work today. You can find this story in the anthology Entitled New Worlds, Old Ways, speculative tales from the Caribbean edited by Karen Lord. And if you like this podcast, one of the ways you can show it is by sharing an episode with a friend. You can also leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and include a story suggestion for us. And if you would prefer to listen to episodes ad-free and also have access to some exclusive bonus author interviews, you can do that on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana. She is the boss and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And I am LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter, at LeVar Burton, LeVar.Burton on Instagram, or my website, lavarburton.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it.
2: Stitcher.